Adam. Adam. Oh, shit, 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 shit. Ow. Uh, were you just looking at joeshrimpshack.com again? Uh, no. Why can't you just look at porn like a normal person? The shrimp are naked, you know. And for those naked shrimp, don't get caught with your pants down. Use promo code AquariumGuys at checkout at joeshrimpshack.com for 15% off anything in the store. <sighs> joeshrimpshack.com. Might as well be porn. <laughs> One last thing for the listeners. Please submit your stories for the Storytime Episode 4. We want user-submitted stories about your extreme, funny, hilarious, devastating stories in the Aquarium Hobby. Submit them to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. On the website, you'll find our information for our email address, telephone number. You can leave us a text message, voicemail. Submit a YouTube video, anything. We need those stories. Now let's kick that podcast. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Jimmy, why am I smiling? I figured out my problem. Problem I've had for six months and I've got it figured out. Wait, dandruff? No. Oh, okay. And it's not. And it's not ED either. So don't bring that up. <laughs> okay. This. <laughs> Adam, shut up. Adam doesn't know what real Ad- problems are in life. Yeah, the father of four. No, you know, uh, this summer I put in my my pond and I was not happy with it because it was not clear all summer long. It wasn't green. It was just muddy. And, uh, you know, when you have one of these problems and, and, and you go, I can't figure it out, I can't figure it out. And then six months later, you go, God, that was easy. So I figured it out. My, my wife was cleaning out the closet. She brought down the koi food from, that we fed them all summer long, which they love. Right. I threw it in their 40-gallon aquarium and came back two hours later. And it's, it's the consistency of dark coffee. <laughs> It was the food the whole time. I just, just want to shoot myself. So, yeah. And so I thought, oh, it can't be the food. So I threw it in, in a tank full. I, I gave a, a, like four or five little pellets to, I have a, a 30-gallon tank full of sailfin mollies. And I threw like four or five pellets in there. It came in there the other day. I went, where are my sailfin mollies? You can't see, with, you can't see three inches into the aquarium. And, and when you come up to the aquarium and you knock, they all come up front going, change the water, jerk. And wow. so th- this was that high-end pellets that we got when you and I were down in Minneapolis. And, uh, yeah. I'm just, what I, brand is that? Oh, uh, it was some crazy stuff. We went to a, uh, we went to a koi show. It was a... Uh, oh, is that where I gave you the antlers? Uh, yes. Yeah, same, yeah. Same place. Yeah. And, and the fish love this food. It smells good. And, and, I, and I, every time I went out there, I'd feed it to them like they're chickens, you know, because it's all by my front right. door. And... Uh, I changed water, what, a thousand times last summer and never did see my fish until I took, took all the water out and took them out of there. Well, I mean, these people were having their fish in like 40,000 gallon ponds. So, I mean, they weren't going to see their fish anyways. They're, they're, no, no, they're seeing their fish. They just have, you know, multi thousand dollar filtration systems. <laughs> I've never had any food in my life mess up a tank so bad so quickly. I mean, 15 minutes and you can't see whatever they didn't eat just dissolved into dog poop. It just floats throughout the tank. Well, I'm going to pause you there. I'm Rob Zolson. I'm Jim Colby. And I'm Adam Eldershire. And today we have with us the wonderful crew 
from Watercolors Aquarium Gallery, a podcast they have, YouTube channel, but again, they are a store in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'd like to uh, introduce Amy. Go ahead and say hello. Hey, everybody. Ben. How's everybody doing tonight? And Charles. What up? Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I just want to do that so we have voice association for people. I, I really do appreciate you coming on. And today's subject is going to be essentially their store. Um, Love talking about ourselves, so it's great. It's gonna be it's gonna be a party for sure. Uh, their their store is very uh, interesting business model, and I think more stores should uh, become like theirs. So I can't wait to get an interview with you guys. So we're gonna steal all their good ideas and start a store. I mean, not steal all the good ideas. We're just gonna up the game, raise the bar. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> Go later. for it, guys. We're here to share. It's All right. an open field. If you can pull it off, go for it. Right. Yep. Absolutely. The more they, stores like us, the more stores like us there can be. See, yep. they know how much work it takes, and they're like, bring it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Listen I, to our I, quarantine I, episode if you want to hear how much work it takes. There you go. I'm doing that again. If, if you guys want to give us your social security numbers are in the air, too, that'd no. be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I got to get financing somewhere for this new store, so. Sure. Well, right. okay, Jimmy. Yes. Uh, you had a, a, a quote unquote, uh, you know, crappy week because of food. We have a lot of responses back from uh, the McRib jokes, and they're just concerned uh, on, uh, you know, how much weight you've gained over the season. Oh, they could all suck it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm let's curious as to how much weight the fish gained. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the McRib came back in, uh, in December. My record before was four before I, I felt sick. I mean, not not, not not like four eat in one day, like four days in a row of eating McRibs. Yeah, and uh, I made it three, three. So I must be getting older. I only made it three days this time before I had bathroom issues. Issues, issues in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't. Aww. And we're just we're just proud of you, Jimmy. That's all. Yeah. From a McRib, I just that's just that's shocking. We're not even sure what's in a McRib, and, and there are better ways to make yourself sick. You know that, right? Tequila is one of my favorites. And uh, at least you'd have fun. Yeah. Well, the, the last time I had the tequila virus, and that we're gonna blame Scrap. It was the summer. Yeah, it was the summer. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scrap came up from Ohio, uh, our editor, and uh, our friend Dab, and we had a little bit of a party in my basement, but we were all six feet away. That you you quarantined yourself due to the tequila virus. You said the next day. It was about a day and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So for questions, we have hello. I am a senior in high school. I recently started listening to your guys' podcast. I have a 12 to 13-inch ghost ghost knife fish that is outgrowing my 80-gallon tank. I really want to make sure he has got a good home. and wondering where you guys suggest to look or if you guys might be interested in. I'm based in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for answering my question. Well, number one, uh, start with your local fish community. You can post and make sure that someone has uh, something that, hey, I have this... Uh, Fish to give away, see how that works. You can bring it to a lot of local pet stores. They have, uh, I wouldn't say all of them, but a good majority would have at least a couple different areas to, to keep them or at least connections of where that fish could go to at that largest size. Those by far are the best places to start with. Otherwise, if you really can't find something, uh, you can contact Ohio Fish Rescue. Those guys are nuts. I mean, you are in Los Angeles, yes, but you know maybe someone can donate some money to ship it to Ohio 
regardless, they're connected with people. I mean, if they get uh, someone in Minnesota, they call they call us. If they get someone in another state, they got people there. So they have quite the network. Yeah, if you can get a hold of uh, that. What's that, Adam? Uh, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say, if you get a hold of uh, a Rich and Josh, they travel the nation, really. I mean, they travel all over the place. And, and you never know. They might be in the L.A. area. You don't know. Hey, we but, gotta, I mean, if you want to see something really cool, uh, go on their YouTube and watch him uh, go over to Shaq's house. Uh, Shaq, the basketball player, yes, and uh, put in his fish in his pond. That was pretty cool. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, I was gonna. I was thinking if you throw a ghost a ghost knife in a, in their pool, that indoor pool, that'd be really cool. I wonder how big it would get. That <laughs> yeah, that that would be uh, quite the size. Uh, for those that don't know, they have converted an indoor pool into a massive predator pond, and they have all kinds of stuff there from massive peacock bass, stingrays. They have uh, about a five-foot uh, arapaima. Just a, that sounds amazing. Oh, it's it's a lot of it's fun. It's a crazy setup. Yeah. Have you seen their stuff before? No, I haven't. It's really amazing. They do some good work. Hmm. Yeah, they, they're... All those big fish that need homes. Great, great guys. Rob uh, was there probably six, nine months ago. Well... When I was there, uh, they're like, "Hey, we should do some content because they're always, you know, pushing content out to their YouTube channel." And I'm like, ah, "I don't want to do the same old, same old like everyone else. Let's do uh, fish and risk enrichment." So what they didn't realize is I stole uh, Josh's uh, rod and reel, put a bobber at the end, no hook, and then just cast it across the predator pond. And sure enough, I was able to get like the uh, bass to jump out of the water <laughs> catching it. Oh, that's fun. It was a lot of fun. We even had like, you know, alligator gar hitting it, all kinds of all kinds of fun. You should have went uh, skinny dipping. I did. I swam with them. Were you naked? Uh, I mean, I'd make sure to like tuck some tidbits in and make sure nothing <laughs> was there as a, as a food. So it was a lot of fun, though. Go check those guys out. But again, local pet store, check your fish groups, even aquarium clubs would help you out. Now, next question from Ryan. Hello, Aquarium guys. Hope Jimmy is still didgeridooing. Haven't heard that stuff in a long time. Craving it. It hasn't been requested yet. But would you guys be able to do a episode on geophagish species and something else amazing? Maybe even mantis shrimp. And Robs, uh, are you too big to ride roller coasters? Uh, figured <laughs> Jim and Adam could bug you to encourage you to stop eating all those McRibs of Jim's. Uh, peace, guys. Still loving the podcast. Been a fan since episode four. Well, it took that long, huh? I love how you're the McRib guy, and yet I'm too fat to fit into you a You are too fat. I can't even ride him, so. You can't ride Rob? I think you, buy, well, you and I both could ride Rob. No, Adam says he looks like a terrorist, so they won't let him. <laughs> I can't ride roller coasters. And why is that? Because you're a pussy? Motion sickness. Motion sickness. Huh. Uh, that's to, I'm gonna warn you. That's part of the roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I can't. I can't even like see a merry-go-round spin. What? And then I just like yeah. I get like I want to puke. And yet you drink. Don't feel bad. I'm the same way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can I can go like the whole fast roller coaster. I can't do spinny shit. I I, I can do the roller coasters. We did Universal and, and all the big ones. Um, the ones down in Tampa. Which one was that? Um, you tried to get me to go on the one in SeaWorld, and that was not kosher. That was Shamu I was trying to get you to ride. Um, we have pictures of that. We rode Shamu, remember? <laughs> the, uh, I, I can ride roller coasters, but where I have the anxiety is when you're going up, you know, click, 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 click to the top. That's when I have the anxiety. Oh. Once I'm rolling down, I'm fine. But if you want to see some great pictures, uh, 
we were uh, we rode the Tower of Terror in the uh, Walt Disney World. Oh hell no! And <laughs> I had to apologize to everybody we rode on because I said the f bomb about three thousand times because I was scared to death. And we've got some great pictures that, that we got from Disney of, of me. I think soiling myself actually is what I was doing. So how was the wild thing at Valley Fair? The wild thing's easy. That was is easy. it? Yeah. Tower of Terror. Tower of Terror. Yeah, that's a little bit for me anyway. Wasn't it? I'll have to ask for the video. Yeah. Maybe we can put on the podcast Jen, as a bonus. Jen's got it. Excellent. <laughs> All right, I think that uh, catches us up for at least for a couple of questions this week, guys. Just a, a bit of a note: what we're trying to do is we started the podcast and we did each episode evergreen to a topic. And you guys heard us do tangents. Well, you guys wanted an episode of nothing but tangents. So we did story time. And that's been like our most demanded episodes that you've asked for. So we just finished uh, story time three, not too long back. We want to do story time four, but we want to do it a little bit differently. So what we're asking is that you submit to the podcast your stories. And what we want to do is select through the best of stories. And whoever, you know, gets our fan favorites, we're going to send a prize to. Adam gets to pick one, Jim gets to pick one, and I get to pick one. Whatever stories we feel are uh, most deserving, we'll send you some prizes. So certainly go to Aquarium Guys Podcast. In the bottom of the website, you will find our contact information. It'll have an email address, uh, phone number to leave a voicemail. We'd love you to read, uh, you know, tell us your stories. Uh, also a text message. So send us your stories, whatever format you want, video, if you want to send us just text and you wrote it out. However, we just want to hear the goofy things that have happened to you in this aquarium hobby. And your the grand prize will be a bag of clown puke. <laughs> no. We could do that. <laughs> no. I, I still got like 80-year-old mixed clown puke from a closed-down uh, fish store. There we go. I'm so triggered right now. Oh, uh, <laughs> for you for you watercolor people, right? Uh, oh, and we, know, we, know, we know clown puke here. Oh, yes, but We're do you know how to use it? familiar with it. If you have your friend, right, and you want to prank him, you just grab one little pinch of clown puke and throw it in his uh, his scape and just oh, see yeah. what happens. Just one pinch. Just one. Or I could give you some of this koi food. That's a good food. way to lose a friend. Yeah, I was like, that's not a prank. That's an ending of a relationship. That's how there. you get cut off from my life forever. <laughs> so this is how Amy cuts people off. All right, now we know. Clown puke yep. uh-huh. is, is the herpes of aquarium supplies. It is. And, <laughs> no doubt. It shows up everywhere unexpectedly. You know, I, I, I think I have a new... Every time I come over to Rob's house, I'm going to drop two koi pellets in his aquarium. Oh, that's the new one. <laughs> and I'm going to do this every third day or so and it's just do it. And eventually. Declaration of war. Yeah. And all of a sudden, his fish will be swimming in coffee and he'll be going, what's going on? I'm losing my mind. It'll literally be less invasive than if you just took a dump in my my uh, my aquarium. <laughs> Speaking. I just want to know how much food you were putting into that koi pellet. Right. right? <laughs> you know, Typically, if they eat it, it doesn't discolor the water. Yeah, Jimmy. <laughs> no, Jimmy's got his grandkid out there. Don't let him kid you. He's got a grandkid out there, and they're just like having That's a time. The missing link. Right, right there. <laughs> oh, my favorite one was uh, I had a buddy, and he set up a big, big fish tank, like 150 gallon. And his kid thought the saltwater fish were hungry, so she fed them chocolate chip cookies. No. Yeah, that was not a good mess. He comes home and everything's dead. Oh, oh no. That's not good for them. Wait, did I park milk in the tank? Milk? Milk. milk. Uh, what did you think they were going to do with milk? They'd, they'd get strong bones. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My calcium supplement now dumps a gallon of milk in the tank. <laughs> yeah. 
that's pretty that's pretty good yeah if you throw in some viagra then that really will help them uh, grow too oh is it yeah. oh, that's a new breeding method please yeah i don't want to hear any feedback from people like i tried the viagra thing didn't seem to work out for me <laughs> <laughs> I know people who have gotten that desperate with their tanks before that would try it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Just breed already. All right. Well, let's just get right into the interview, guys. So generally what we ask everybody uh, to start off the interview is what got them into the hobby. So let's just do a quick roundtable. Amy, what, what, why are you still doing this after so long? <laughs> why have you not given up? <laughs> you know, my story is I haven't really been in this that long. Working here is what got me into the hobby. I started here five years ago now almost mm. um having just kept worked in a chain pet store and kept a beta tank for a year or so um but it's amazing what just jumping into keeping aquariums full time 40 hours a week will teach you over five years <laughs> so i sort of came into the hobby like learning alongside people that i was serving as customers so I have a kind of weird sideways trajectory into it. And now I've got multiple tanks at home and have had to troubleshoot a lot of problems over the years. <laughs> Jimmy's on the same thing, but with carbs. He's a bread guy, so he uh, he just can't help himself but have bread every day. <laughs> going to kick your ass later. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been in animal care, and aquariums just make sense to me in terms of that. Like it's such a more like whole habitat for a for an animal than like keeping a bird in your house. <laughs> Wonderful. So, what other pets do you have, Amy? Uh, pretty much just have fish tanks and cats at this point. Oh, There's pretty much no other things that I. You're have a crazy cat lady. I have two cats. Okay, okay no, it makes That's you crazy. See, see, Rob. And then the one outside and the couple of others that I feed that stick around. Yeah. Uh huh. Let, let's talk about your problem. <laughs> It's time for an intervention here. That's not what this is about. Yeah. <laughs> She's got 17 cats, doesn't she, guys? Hey, as a person with two cats, all right, we're, we're at least stable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You Re- can definitely, resist the urge. Right. You can definitely tell there are people you look at and think, that is a cat person. And you know those are the crazy ones. It doesn't necessarily mean everyone <laughs> that has cats has that look, but there are those people that there's just no question that they're cat people. Yeah, we our uh, building is right next to a cat cafe, and we get we get a lot of people watching. Done. <laughs> is this a, is this where you can like go have coffee with cats? Yes. Yeah. That, that I'm not gonna coffee. lie, I would pay nine dollars for a coffee to sit down with strangers' <laughs> cats that I don't have to clean their litter box of. Also, you're gonna go you're gonna go try to pick up somebody else's cat right at, at the bar. My cats are worse. Yeah. Their cats are great. <laughs> that uh, like, how do they keep the hair from getting in the coffee? I don't care. I still drink it. <laughs> I just think other people's cats are the best kinds of cats. Yes, they're the best. Just like children. Sometimes. Just like children, is it right? Just like children. <laughs> yep, exactly. They say that about everybody's everything, though. <laughs> I, I love other people's dogs, but man, you got to wake up at one in the morning to take them out one time. And I'm like, eh, maybe not. See, Jimmy? Uh, ben, how about you? What got you into the hobby? That was a long time ago, guys. So probably clown killifish got me into the hobby. In fifth or sixth grade, a library book that had a picture of a clown killifish, I thought it was cool. And so I went to go try to find them. And, you know, trying to find clown killifish in the early 80s in a pet store was not really an option. But that got me going into a bunch of aquarium stores and ended up with a fish tank. Wonderful. Just just a random picture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was looking at a a fish book because I was the geek who was in the corner looking at animal books. Well, sure. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, 
you just find that one that resonates with you and you just you just know what you got to have national geographic yeah, is mine. It, it's still my all-time favorite fish and i still have some you know i uh didn't even know that joke until uh the other day when uh, my mom dropped off a bunch of magazines and sure enough the uh the <laughs> naked stereotypes were in there jimmy so uh when I, right. you weren't lying when i was in high school in the 1800s <laughs> <laughs> The National Geographic would come in, and the librarian would go through it first and tear out pages. Oh, would she now? Yeah. We'd dig a lot of the garbage. Sneaky. Well, how about you, Charles? What got you into this wonderful hobby? My mom and all of her friends kept tanks, and I've always had an interest in marine biology, and it just stuck. <laughs> there we go. What we call the... two lifer. Yeah, what we call the traditional lifer right there. Gets, gets stuck in my mom or grandma... And yep. you're just stuck forever. Yeah. Just depends on how many enablers you have around you when you're a kid. <laughs> I, let's just say that all my role models had tanks. Some people get a two-pack-a-day addiction. Yeah. yeah. The rest of us just have to get uh, feeder guppies. Right, Adam? They're endless. Hey, I had a clown puke tank when I was that age. Does that count? I definitely had the red gravel tank for a while. I had blue. I think all of us did, though, as kids, right? No. I still got a blue. Hey, Hey, I just set up a clown puke tank literally this week. I have a 10-gallon, 48-inch long tank that I put clown puke across just for Jimmy. Oh, so you decided to ruin that tank for him. Absolutely. Well, it's it's a fun story. (laughs) Uh, A friend of mine, like I mentioned, that 80-year-old gravel, he got a bunch of tanks, and I went to West Virginia to set up a recirculating system, and it was a closed down, uh, closing down store that was open for like 80 years, and they collected all of their gravel, mixed it together, and then sold it in bags that literally, they didn't label it as clown puke, but something close. And it's if you look into it, every piece is something different. It's incredible. They got like cat eye marbles and all kinds of crazy stuff in it. That's almost impressive. It's like, well, you guys are fast food guys. It's swamp water, right? It's where you go to the machine and you just put every soda in your cup. <laughs> right. That's what do they I call that? The kamikaze that. soda. I call We always call it swamp water. <laughs> swamp water. I like that better. Well, guys, I, I want to talk to you more about your guys's uh, shop. You guys have watercolors, aquarium gallery. Now, just the name intrigued me uh, immediately because what I've been trying to research is. I'm trying to figure out a podcast where we can talk and get a good example of why keeping your pet store a destination store is important. And as I'm doing this research, trying to go through, you know, hundreds of different uh, uh, pet stores, I come across uh, you guys and see this aquarium gallery. And it takes me a bit off guard because you always are used to the pet store. Generally, selling products is always the goal. And that certainly doesn't seem to be different from your store. However, you guys advertise yours as the destination hub, as almost an art gallery. Uh, when did this business start? Where did the idea come from? We are on our sixth year. Yeah, our sixth year. Um, we were a, we ran a service company for, I don't know, like eight, ten years before that. And it, it was just kind of something that was missing. Um, Takashi Amano was certainly a... Ma- a major inspiration for it but that idea that to for an aquarium to be not just a, a glass box to keep things alive in but a living breathing work of art it just you guys just sat down one day and like cool. i, I want to do it differently and you wanted to make it artwork yeah yeah 
So and, it, and more than just a glass box. More than just a glass box. You wanted to make an impression, a scene, like recreate the feeling that you do with, with fish. But for anybody that just walks in just to be like, wow. If somebody doesn't say wow when they walk in, I feel like we're doing something wrong. Wonderful. So six years. And did you do this alone? Never alone. I mean, it takes takes a team to build a place like this. Oh, for sure. But yeah. uh, there's again, you were the visionary. You started up. You started hiring employees. And now we're here. Yeah. Yep. Now we're here. Fantastic. Yep. So explain to me, again, this is a podcast. So we don't have a, a ton of visuals. But explain to me what makes your store different. <laughs> How would you describe it? So um, the, the store is, is not geared around, here's a bunch of products that lie around. But it's, it's about, here's, we have probably 15 different displays that, that show what an aquarium can be. And then we keep only the products that we know we would use in those displays. We'd use in that setup. Um, we have uh, our stands are not stock, you know, marine land stands. Although we do have those sometimes, but our our stands are made by a, a local woodworker um, who is more of an artist than than just a furniture builder. Yeah, and we we aim to inspire with everything that we do. Even our our display tanks, or not our display tanks, but the tanks that we sell out of, those are all aquascape. Those are all done with design and intent. I like to tell people that our retail space are exhibits that they can take home if they want to. Yeah. yeah. It's so important like for people to understand what the finished product is supposed to be. I don't feel like traditional aquarium stores do a good job at selling aquariums. Like, why would I want that? Like, bare thing with fish that look miserable and no decor and no, like, no eye towards like, the actual aesthetics of the thing. If you don't know you want an aquarium and you walk into a blue box tank aquarium store why would you want that like that's how i feel about it yeah yeah where's the inspiration going to come from yeah and how are they going to know how how is somebody going to know how to do it right you know the amount of times we have people come into the store saying i want some of those some of those kissing fish and some of those those blue neon ones and i want to put them together and and how do they know unless there's something to inspire to ask questions about certainly instead of just scooping stuff out and putting it in a tank for them so again, I'm going off of your website, YouTube uh, videos, and it looks like yeah. that you guys are not traditional. So let's just paint for the listeners how most uh, mom and pop stores like to uh, do certain systems. Uh, number one, they like to do different Mars units. Now the Mars unit is explained as essentially a multi-tank system all recircling together. And when they made these things, they never thought, hmm, how can we make this electric efficient? And didn't go with that at all. So most of these Mars units, like even like retired ones you used to get from like department stores, Walmart when they shut down, um, they weren't really made to focus on energy efficiency. They Their lighting was terrible, and there was no way to really shut off aquariums and quarantine at all. So that's one uh, way to capture it. Otherwise, a lot of mom-and-pop stores do just independent tanks with undergravel filter systems, and again, everything is... If they have an undergravel filter system, great, or it's just bare-bottom tanks. In their eyes, the less maintenance, the more money they can do, and something is lost in there. So when you guys set up a tank, you guys said that you guys have fantastic stands. Are these tanks all independent or somehow still recirculating? No, they're all independent. So I built the stands. It's Most of our tanks are 40 breeders, although I guess now we have a wall of 20s too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all independent. They are running with um, with air, so either undergravel filters or sponge filters, but they are all filtered. They're water-changed every week. Yeah, 
So yeah, independent. That's yeah. the, the short answer. We spend way too much time and energy quarantining every single fish to put them in connected systems and get them all sick again. Right. Oh, for yeah. sure. So we, we, we take the philosophy that if you can, you can do it in mass and you can do it as cheaply as possible and have 20, 30, sometimes 40% loss, or you can spend a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time making sure that absolutely every single fish that goes out is perfect and have two or 3% loss. So, and that money seems to be a wash. Explain that idea because again, going in these pet stores, uh, they refer to this as shrink. Uh, it's common to hear in grocery stores, especially if you work in a meat market, there's always shrink that they acquire for. So if you buy something at $2 a pound, they sell it to you for $8 a pound. They're understanding that they're not making that full gap, that some of it is cut and lost to shrink, either going ex, uh, expiring for expiration date, cut off because it's a chunky pieces that they still had to pay uh, the weight for. And they just you know, equate 20% of everything is going to be gone. And we have to make up for that difference in either jack up prices or keep our stock, our costs low overall. So you guys take that whole approach a bit differently. And you even mentioned, check out your quarantine episode. What does that look like for your business? Every saltwater fish goes through a full four week quarantine process. Four weeks? Four weeks. I just want to make sure I heard that correctly. Four, four total four weeks. weeks. I don't even quarantine for COVID for that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm the one that runs the quarantine department. Uh, That gives me the ability to run them through a cycle of hyposaline and two cycles of copper treatment. Okay. I need uh, need a tea time here. There's a quarantine department. Did I get that right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So the the store is 2,400 square feet of retail and the basement is the same size. And there's about four wow. times as many tanks in the basement as there are upstairs. And 80% of the space down there is devoted to quarantine. So it's, it's basically half of our business space is devoted to keeping fish healthy. Yeah. I was glad you used the word shrink because we try to approach it from these are live animals. And to use the word shrink means that we are allowing a certain amount of expendability with these live creatures we're taking responsibility to take care of. So that, that's literally the vernacular like the they use. Shrink. Yeah, there's yeah. no such thing as an acceptable loss for livestock. Right. Not that we don't lose some. It does happen, of course. But we've always, every single saltwater fish that we lose, we sit down and have a little talk about what, what did we do? How did we fail? And we keep data on what we have successes with and what we don't and what does and doesn't work for individual species. Yeah, I think I have like up to three years of loss data at this point of like every saltwater fish we've lost in the last three years is a data point in our system. Now, is that open to Patreon subscribers for your YouTube channel? <laughs> <laughs> um, the data, so uh, our quarantine episode, actually, when we did our podcast, was a decision that, you know, we spent four years, and I don't even want to talk about how much money we spent developing a quarantine process that works in batches. And we had the decision about, are we going to make that public or, that, or not? Because it was a substantial investment. And the decision was, yes, make it public. Make it public. Yeah. So. Make it public. So if you would like detailed information on how to properly quarantine a batch of saltwater fish so that your losses are run at about 4%, um, I will send you literally the detailed information on how to do it. I mean, I'm, and I am all ears for that information. That is <laughs> yeah. golden. It's an hour and a half podcast, so we can't get into too much of it here. But, oh, I know. We got yeah. to be precious of your time, but that is golden information that uh, people don't know they can reach out for. 
So again, exactly. I interrupted the process because I heard the word quarantine department and my head exploded. <laughs> right. So forgive me on that one. So let's go ahead and continue through. Uh, a fish comes in. You said salt water. They go through a copper treatment. What was that again? Oh, uh, copper treatment and hyposaline. That means low salinity. Yeah. And it's uh, great, great for getting rid of flukes. Yeah. So the two main issues that we were trying to solve, of course, everybody knows that ick is number one. Right? Number one, bar none. We all, we all face ick and we all deal with it on a regular basis and we all have issues with it, no matter, no matter what you do. We had to come up with a way to make it so that we were comfortable putting those fish into a, you know, a 600-gallon serviced established reef tank and know that we could add a blue tank to it without causing a problem. Um, so that's, that's what the copper is for. The second big issue was flukes. And in small quarantine setups, flukes don't have time to, or the opportunity to really get established. But if you're trying to come up with an efficient way to batch quarantine, you know, an entire shipment of saltwater fish in a 350-gallon system, those flukes have a chance to build up over time. So hyposaline was the only way that we could come up with that was a surefire way to get rid of them. We used Prozipro like crazy for a while, and that worked really great for a while. And then we found this crazy little article about a bacteria that eats Prozipro. Yeah, all of a sudden, Prozipro just stopped working and we did not know why. And that article, well, that's why. That was why. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing for small, single-use quarantine, but in right. a continually running quarantine system, it just wasn't a viable long-term option. It was a crazy thing to walk down. As I mentioned, I started doing this in the 80s. I've been doing this for a really long time. And to walk down to a system and see it cloudy, the first thing you think is, oh, crap, there's an ammonia spike in the tank. And you test the water and it's perfect. That was just horribly confusing. And then we figured out that it, it was a bacterial bloom that were eating the Prozipro. And so the Prozipro was ineffective against the flukes. Literally just feeding the bacterium. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And they, that bacteria, it's, you know, it's a bacteria. It doesn't just go away. We tried antibiotics to get rid of it and kept them at bay for a little while, but it was not the long-term solution. So then we had to come up with a, a long-term solution to safely get a batch of fish from, you know, they came in at a salinity of 1.02122. We have to bring them all the way down to 1.011. Keep them there for 10 days, right, Charles? Yep. And then slowly bring them back up to 1.022. So they're saleable. That is yeah. a hell of a process. So what are some of the most difficult species that you guys uh, get in, either salt or freshwater? Uh, the one that's still raw in my heart was we recently made the decision to stop at least for the time being until we can reevaluate mandarin fish um, because getting them to eat in a quarantine system is incredibly difficult and requires an incredible amount of time and effort and um, the success rate was just not great yeah so we we, we chose that you know like i said we're not going to treat anything with acceptable loss and the losses were just too big on that fish so we stopped so what um, but let, go ahead oh i apologize i'm just I always go to the, this idea of shrink, and that's what you know. Pet orders have to have to do. They're they're sitting there, they're doing the math, they're trying to see how they can get this to work because accidents happen. So a normal pet store, and again, I'm, my listeners are going to be listening to this carefully. On average, in my experience, that I've seen pet stores uh, go from up to forty percent can be acceptable in numbers. Uh, Jimmy, you wholesale. Uh, what do you what do you expect? Like you've even told me like. Numbers from these old pet traders that used to say, hey, you get a fish in for 40 cents, right? You sell it for six bucks. How many fish does it take to make sure your bag breaks even is the, is the goal? And that's like, it, it, like 
I guess it makes sense, but it hurts your brain and that there's your acceptable shrink. So, you know, compared to like a 40% uh, store, which that's not great, mind you, that's just what they're doing to cover their their rear. Uh, What type of uh, failure rates do you guys get? Uh, Not that you accept it, but that do happen on occasion. Um, Per shipment, our success rate is usually roughly 90%. Um, I would say that's average. If we get a small shipment, it could be higher, but we expect 90 or above. Jimmy, when's the last time that you've uh, called a wholesaler and just, I expect 90% on uh, on your shipments, eh? <laughs> yeah, we're just hoping to get there alive. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. you guys deal the same thing we're I do. We're very picky with who we work with, though, so that makes it way easier. When we work with wholesalers who are willing to work with us, our success rates jump up twice. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, to get yeah that- I, I think the math works out like you're either paying someone to quarantine it or you're paying for losses and it ends up being a wash. Like yeah, we so- don't take returns of dead fish. Like that just isn't a thing that happens to us very frequently. Like maybe once or twice a quarter we'll get like a, hey, this died within the first week. Can I replace it? it it's not common here. Sure. They can always replace it if they bring out their checkbook. <laughs> no, we will we'll, we will cover a loss if a loss happens. But what she's saying is that we don't have to. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, save if, a lot of money that way. If you're if you're sending home a healthy specimen and, and you've got a customer that that moderately knows what they're doing, they shouldn't have any problem. That it's not rocket exactly. science uh, to a point. But um, yeah. have people that come in and, and you know I want a Nemo tank. And then you just roll your eyes and go, here we go. We're going to spend two hours educating this person. And they're going to walk out and order something online. And it's going to be a total deficit. I love conversations like that, though, because um, these are people, those are the lifeblood of the hobby. We need new hobbyists coming in. And so whenever we get that conversation, it becomes framing it in. All right. Do you want corals in this tank, too? Do you want X, Y, Z? And then from there, you can work with. Most people are very amiable if you approach it in that way and are like, like this weekend, I had a couple where they came in and they were asking how to do a pair of clownfish. And I worked out that all they wanted was a pair of clownfish in a fish only and live rock system. And I said, that's very easy to work with. All right, let's, this is what you're going to need. And like, they're really excited about their tank. People want it to be fun. So if you explain to them, hey, having sick and dying fish isn't fun, they're like, Oh yeah, you're right. It's not. Maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know. So yeah, we we have those two hour conversations and we love them. Yeah, it's worth it. It's it's worth it every time, especially if it's like, you know, we you you had that question earlier today of that kid with the ghost knife. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I kind of want to talk to that kid because he sounds like he's trying to do the best he can, and maybe he he did screw up and he got the wrong fish, but. That's okay because he he still wants to do it, and that's what's important. You know, when we started this podcast a year and a half ago, two years ago, it was kind of our our thing is that we wanted just to to help educate people, but um, we wanted to get the young people involved because it's getting to be an old person's hobby. Shut up, Rob! I'm punching the throat. It is. I'm not. I'm not no. giggling for the sake of that. You know, but I mean, if, if you go to your aquarium society, your local one in your town, I mean, you'll see that majority of people there are over forty years old, and the, the kids that are there is because their dad had a babysit that night because mom's up bowling or something like that. And I just really, no, you're not wrong. Yeah, like uh, I can remember an old 
like Aquarium Fish International. And it's always stuck with me. This was back in like 2008. And they had an article that was literally just titled, Are Fish, Are Kids Not Getting in the Hobby? And I've well, that, like, that's, that's always been on my mind. I need to read that article. I, I think I have that one. Yeah. <laughs> collection of, of magazines. In your archives. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, when I had my shop, all I did was I just got every book I could find, every magazine I could subscribe to because there was so much in there. And I mean, I, we, we had, the internet was just starting up when I was doing my store. But even then, half the time you'd get, you know, somebody on there that would say, oh, this is how you do it. And I'm like, that'll kill it. And it's <laughs> just, you're just like, okay. Yeah, the wonderful thing about this so, podcast we, is everybody shares their secrets. I mean, when I started in the hobby 30 years ago, you, I went down to Florida to visit all the fish farms, and they wouldn't tell you nothing. I mean, you could ask them all kinds of questions. They'd look at you and go, well, I'm not real sure that that's, you know, you, you want to do all, all this. It's a lot of work. Or it's confidential. Right. And uh, yeah. so when we started this podcast, I, I think our, our groundbreaking podcast, we had Steve Rubicki on from Angels Plus, and he shared all kinds of, of information. And then it was uh, uh, the Pleco King. Uh, we had a, we've had a lot of people in our yeah, experience. It was just one and, after another. The people have come in and they've shared one or two secrets, and we get emails saying, "Man, that has changed the way I look at things. It changed the way I keep fish." And I'm, I'm going to say that like my head exploded hearing this quarantine stuff, and I, I won't let it go. I need more info. So you went four weeks with quarantining this fish. You go through a rigorous process of low salinity copper treatments. Then the fish right. is a okay. Um, do you guys do things in batches, whereas you have a completely empty tank, you move those up to the empty tank, or is it completely kosher after four weeks in your mind to add those fish to an existing tank up in the sales floor? We add them up to an existing tank up in the sale floor. It would be mathematically impossible at that point for them to have any sort of parasite, and by that time we would expect that any other issues like bacterial infections or something like that would present themselves Four weeks is a long time. You usually see yeah. pretty much everything. Yeah. And yeah. it's very precise levels of copper. Um, and, you know, there's all these fish that, that we have read about that people say, oh, that fish just can't survive copper. You know, like uh, flame angels are a classic one. Mm -hmm. um, and leopard dresses that they just, you know, the copper is just too hard on them. And what we figured out is there's a level of copper that isn't too hard on them that is still therapeutic. I have a pair of leopard rasses coming out of quarantine in a week. And they're solid. They're eating pellet yeah. food. I love it. Just don't do it with your seahorses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah seahorses <laughs> are definitely one of the few exceptions. There are definitely a couple of notable exceptions, but seahorses are always going to be in a separate system anyway. So they're functionally quarantined just by keeping them by themselves. Yeah. And I do have a small selection of like what, what we call hospital tanks here for special cases or something like that, where it's like, all right, I got to treat it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing doesn't get quarantined, though. But we definitely figured out there, there are those fish that, that people say you shouldn't put through that kind of process. And I, we just yeah. realized they were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was yeah. it Seachem that led us? Who led us in the direction of like the type of copper we use? Seachem, yeah. We, yeah. we worked with someone from Seachem on like nailing down, okay, what is the best way to precisely dose and test copper? Because copper test kits are trash for the most part. Yeah. Like they're impossible yeah. to read. Copper is impossible to dose. And when you got, you're aiming for like, you can't be 0.05 off. You have to be like exact. Um, that's, that's not good enough. 
So we, we definitely had to bring in some experts on like exactly how to test and dose copper in order to really like, hey, what is the issue with copper? Is it that we don't know how to test it? Or is that it's is it that it's dangerous? And we found out we didn't know how to test it. And now we do. Yeah. So the HANA digital checkers. That's yeah. the test. Mm-hmm. Which of this, this is my way of bringing back. I want to bring it back around to sharing information. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think the hobby has reached a crossroad where it's like, it's very important for everyone to be sharing the information they have because the way with places like Hawaii are going, yeah. like if, we, oh, if, that, if that information is <laughs> not available, we're going to lose the hobby. Right. Um, what was your guys' problem with your Mandarin gobies? Getting them to eat. Do you want me to tell yep. you the trick that I did when I had my yeah. shop? This is share time, yeah. Adam. McRibs. Right? McRibs. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's not <laughs> McRibs. So whenever I get Mandarin gobies in, here's what I did. I found out that a lot of the times they're sprayed with cyanide, even though they say right. they're not. Right. And so what I did is I took a 20-gallon long, and I had it set up for salt water, completely bare-bottomed. I know it's nothing in it, just bare-bottomed, nothing in it. Then I would take methylene blue and make it so dark methylene blue in there that you could almost not even see in it with the salt water. And then I just do daily water changes and I would um, rem- I'd make it a little bit lighter every time. I'd take out maybe like five, 10 gallons of water out of that. And then I would throw in frozen um, mysis shrimp and frozen brine shrimp. And the- you know how mandarin gobies are always picking at the bottom? Because they're like a scooter blendy, so they're just always picking at the bottom. Eventually, they would just pick something up and eat it. And even the littlest, tiniest bit of food, and they would eat at it. And then they'd like, oh, that's food. But the methylene blue removes the cyanide out of their system. And I would get mated pairs. Like, I would bring them in all the time. I'd have people coming from the cities four and a half hours away from my mandarin gobies. But if your mandarin gobies, the bellies are sunk into the point where, like, the sides, I don't know how to explain it, the sides are touching. I know this, yeah, I know that yeah. look you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that really pinched in look, they're not gonna make it. But if they've got just a little bit of a belly on them, even, I've been able to get them. I've only had like three die out of I wanna say twenty, twenty-five that I did. But oh, that's what I did. Cool. And I actually found that trick out from somebody else who told me that you just gotta methylene blue methylene blue the shit out of them. Sorry for so my is methylene blue supposed to like absorb the cyanide then? Is it that removes the, the cyanide out of their system and then the water changes, remove it out of the water. I don't know how it no. works. Yeah. It's it just works. Trying. Okay. And we've definitely gotten like plenty of individuals through and individuals to eat. It was just that like if if it's one out of four or even if it's two out of four, it wasn't worth it. So yeah. that was definitely worth trying. Yeah, we'll give it a shot for sure. I appreciate that. Definitely. You're welcome. Yeah, it was because I like mandarins and mandarins are hard enough to find as it is. Yeah. And that's why it was so hard for us to make that decision. We all love mandarins. They're here. amazing little yeah, fish. That's, I mean, not that we don't care about the fish we don't love, but that's what made it such a hard decision. Like yeah. if they were easy, every reef tank would have them, right? Right. Like, yeah. I would probably have one if they were easy. Yeah. So we're definitely going to keep working on it, but that's one that's real raw right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. oh, that's such a tough decision to make. Yep. Try that methane blue trick because that yeah we'll give it a shot for sure. Um, and then one of the pairs that I got going, I sold to one of my customers, and they had a 150 gallon tank, and they were spawning every night oh, in their awesome. reef tank. And he just let his corals eat it because he thought that was free food. I'm like, it's mandarin eggs. Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> tough to raise, but that would be very cool. Yeah, what was the idea behind it? I've always thought about. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those saltwater fish that is doable. Like they're, I mean, they're not the easiest fish to breed. They're probably a little harder than clownfish, but not 
they're yeah. probably the easiest yeah. of the, uh, talking with Matt Pedersen. Not they're Patty probably like Turner. the easiest of the pelagics ones to I work with. No. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. We've had Matt on this Milch. program several times and he's just a wealth of information. He's, he's a, he's so cool. He's a secret designer clown. Uh, gentlemen don't ever tell them that by the way yeah, we have a, a few different uh, people asking different questions uh in the past about rope fish and um potentials of using chemicals like cyanide and it's more in the hobby than people think when they do rope fish rope fish rope fish so apparently what they do is they breed these out in uh, different uh, environments whether it be ponds or otherwise and instead of taking the time to net and catch uh, rope fish are extremely difficult to do they essentially dose the water with cyanide, making them come out of the water and catch them at the top of the surface. How rude is that? Uh, chemicals like cyanide, so there may be other exceptions to this, but the problem is, is they're showing that uh, a lot of wholesalers will have stunting, long-term effects, um, to outright death before it uh, even gets to a box store. And even a lot of places That's in UK craziness. just outright stop doing rope fish because they couldn't find enough reputable suppliers to keep a stream of to fill the demand that wasn't uh being dosed in such a method it's definitely a fish that i remember seeing on lists commonly years ago and i don't see them very often anymore yeah they're they're few and far between because of that just spend an extra hour and catch them yeah (laughs) who knows when the when the wholesalers are getting cents a piece for them it doesn't feel like they're uh they're worthwhile i'd rather just see the price go up yeah, yep, for definitely. Sure. Well, now that we got the uh, the dirty out of the way, um, going more <laughs> into these systems. So I'm trying to like picture myself going into a store again because I'm only seeing the content on your website and the, the videos. Yeah. So you say that they're individual systems. You guys make the stands, which fantastic, by the way, that uh, you're able to, able to do that. And someone can walk in and say, hey, this looks great. Can I just buy this whole stand and system as is? And then you guys will go install it. Is that correct? Yes. That is like the dream. Like, not only do I walk in, I'm like, hmm, I like those fish. I like those corals. I just want it all. Let's make it happen. Like, that's yeah. the yeah. that's the For shopper's sure. dream. But there must be tanks in your store that are, you said you had a wall of 20s. Now, is that stacked uh, as an individual rack? Or do these all have individualized stands you make for them? No, that's a, it's a rack stand that I made. So it's sort of like a, like you'd have in a traditional store that had 20s, but the stand's just a little prettier. It's still a, a stand that holds nine 20-gallon aquariums, but just a little prettier. I'll try to shoot you guys some pictures when I get a sec. Oh, please. I'll, I'll look for them. Yeah, that, and I'm definitely going to redirect. Uh, for those that are listening, go to watercoloursaquariumgallery.com. You'll find the information on their podcast, their YouTube channel, and uh, their wonderful store, and they certainly have quite a, quite a bit of content on there. But... Now, do you guys treat a uh, normal day-to-day any different than a, than a pet shop? Is it just, here's our open hours, come anytime, ask us questions, and they walk in. They're expecting something different, but instead they're seeing these fully decked out stands everywhere with these immaculate scapes, and then, what, product hidden between them? There's, there's a certain dry goods section, although I guess the dry goods sections are a little intermittent. Yeah. So, yeah, dry goods kind of intermittent throughout, a little bit thematically spaced. You know, where there's cool lighting, that's where we have the lighting section. And Yeah, I, it's like sort of what Ben was saying before. We don't have as much dry goods selection as your average store. We still carry the stuff you need, but we only carry the versions of it that we know we like. So we don't need to carry every filter in its cartridges. We carry, the only hang on the backs we carry are aqua clears because we like them. And the only 
media that we carry are the media for AquaClears because cartridge filters are trash. So, <laughs> amen to that. We it, it, they are interspersed regularly, and it's probably smaller than your average dry goods section, but we're still a fully stocked aquarium store. Uh, today, I had a conversation of why our uh, liquid fertilizer section is so limited, and I walked through. Well, I spent was forced to spend <laughs> three months testing Grand Rapids tap water and the effects of different lines of fertilizers in Grand Rapids tap water and what it does to different plants. And from that result, I we made the decision, these are the fertilizer lines we're going to carry because these are the ones that coalesce best with the water we're working with here. Yeah, what a better As way to do it. to the all-in-one. I mean, if, if you're servicing people in your local area, keep the stuff that they need. That, that, exactly. that makes sense. And as far as online sales, uh, what do you guys offer us your fish online or is it strictly in store? No, st- just in store. So we'll if, ship plants. No. If, you, if you want to see it, you have to go in person. That, that's the best way of getting you people. Have to come in person. Exactly. You got to come visit. Now, yep. in doing research in your business, because I find this entire concept fascinating, uh, do you guys have, because I see here that you have, it says art inspiration in your gallery, and there's uh, art prizes and uh, apparently what's hinted as an art show. Do you guys keep art on the walls? So we do keep art on the walls, but um, what you're researching about is actually a big, huge Grand Rapids art thing that the city does every, now it's every two years. Like although they art did this festival. year. Art festival, yeah, and it's called Art Prize. And it, we are an art prize venue. So during art prize season, which is in September, um, artists come to us and say, hey, I want to put something on your wall. And if we like the art, we'll put it on the wall. And then that's publicized throughout the city. And for that two or three weeks, the entire downtown metropolitan area turns into this giant walking art gallery. And so that will drive additional foot traffic in your store. Wait, wait, including your fish? Is this, part, is this set up part in uh, that art gallery? Well, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, so the, the building is an old building. It was built in 1923, so it's got 14-foot tall ceilings. So we've got our tanks stacked up to, I don't know, the tops of them are probably at the tallest ones at about six feet. So that means there's a whole bunch of space above so we can put art in that space above the tanks. And again, it's just, it's sold there, displayed all week, and then is there auctions or is it just for competition? It's a it's a big art competition. It's the, actually the largest art competition in the world. Largest art competition in the world, and you guys happen to yes. be an aquarium centerpiece of that. Yes. If I that, keep telling him we should submit an aquarium one of these years. I think it would make a great art piece. Yeah, I think we had, so our store, actually, we just moved into this store. The store we had before was like three blocks away, and it was 1,200 square feet. And at one point, we had 87 people in 1,200 square feet. That's, it was a little tight. I was going to say, that's like uh, yeah, that's inter, no space. Interspace with all the tanks, by the yeah, way. With yeah. all the tanks and all the art. When we already had about twice as many tanks in that space as like should fit for convenience's right. sake. So, um, I posted some pictures of the shop in the chat. Just keep in mind that those are not promo pictures. Those are just whatever I had on my phone. So. Oh, that, that's just for our fun people that want to join us on Discord. Yeah, cool. at least you can get an idea of what of what we look like. Wonderful. And what Charles yeah. looks like because he's in one of the pictures. Yeah. Oh, it's no. from one of our upcoming YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> the the majestic hair and beard go together quite well, sir. Oh, Thank the you. curls, yes. Right. So Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no worries. Uh, you guys have been doing this now for six years. 
Did you have a store before this? Or otherwise, I've heard that some of you have worked in the aquarium hobby in other retail stores. Is that correct? Yes. I, I, I started working for a service company in 2006. That guy opened a small retail store. About two years later, another guy and I bought him out. That lasted for five years, and we split. Um, so we grew a big retail store, had the service company. We split. I took the service company with me and opened watercolors. Okay, so but, what I'm trying to think of foot traffic because I've always talked yeah. about destination stores. And again, that's what we're going off of here is the destination store and why it pays for them, uh, for them to do it. So we have a wonderful store in our area um, that we like to pick on uh, called Forest Lake Pets. It's uh, down in southern Minnesota, about 20 minutes north of uh, the metropolitan area. And okay. that is like what we like to describe as one of our destination stores. And it's mainly due to selection. If you go there, they always have stock on hand. They always have uh, really unique pieces. They're not afraid to get uh, stuff that's unique that no one else has. And they make themselves like every time you stop there, you're going to be impressed by something. It's always different. Even through COVID, yeah. they're able to somehow squeeze out and maintain a diverse selection. And it really did uh, did make every time I go to the cities, oh, we got to stop at Forest Lake. Just do I need fish? God, no. I have a fish room full of stuff i wholesale through jimmy but you know it just inspires you and you just you watch your wallet suddenly empty you just can't help yourself <laughs> That's honestly the idea right it magically <laughs> empties so you're the perfect we have a hard time containing ourselves to a small selection. Right. We're such geeks over here. That's, the, that's kind of the nice thing here is that everyone here is a little bit specialized and we since we get in the things we like like we have a coral person i'm a wild betta guy we have etc 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 so it allows us to like that mixing pot of different ideas of what's cool and if you have a staff that's excited about something you carry whatever that is yeah and if you're right? excited about something then you know you're gonna sell it the next day yeah. <laughs> especially if you're exactly. thinking about taking it home yeah. There's no morning meetings of like, hey, guys, we got some uh, white skirt Tetras that no one wants to sell, but you have to sell them. And uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't know that we've ever had white skirt Tetras. <laughs> Not As if trade I can in. help it. Hey, <laughs> if you do, you got to uh, gotta do it for us and take a picture. white skirt Tetra when there's like a hundred undescribed Hyphus of Brycons you could order. I mean, come on. See, yeah. you're already underselling the product I just bought. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Oops. No, no. Uh, so you were in this position where, again, you've had a store in the past. What was traffic like? So after you've established yourself, you're doing this now for six years uh, on this watercolors model. What does traffic look like uh, for you as comparison to a traditional store to the gallery that you're doing now, the destination location? Good. I mean, we're, <laughs> we, you know, we, we can I feel like you're all. a numbers guy. It's always it's always growing. So I, I mentioned I work in the quarantine department and most of my work is downstairs, but I'm the weekend. I'm the only manager. So the thing that has become as the company has grown, that has become much more apparent to me is how much less time I have downstairs. Yeah. We have a service company and that's, that's been bread and butter to allow us to do things our way. And when you do things our way and what we of course would say the right way then you god you, we're snobs we, <laughs> we kind of are hey yeah. this is the time where you guys get to toot your own horn we're giving you the platform to do this right yeah and so if we're doing it right and that that 
becomes viral, that people catch on to that and, and want more of that. Um, and it grows by itself. Confidence is contagious. Yeah. yeah. So I we had someone come in over the weekend because they read a review that we wouldn't sell people a pleco into a bowl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> our bad reviews are our best advertisements. We love bad reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So again, I have plenty of people that are starting new stores, thinking about doing on, uh, stores. Maybe they want to convert that online hobby into something local that they do a couple days a week. And they're, they're trying to listen in. They, they talk to these mom and pop shops and they want numbers. So I hate to do this to you, but what would you say is a difference between your store and a competitor's or what you guys used to do as far as, uh, as, far as traffic? Is it 20% more, 15% more? So the store that I, that I used to have was 4,200 square feet. It was just this massive behemoth and we had everything from you know red gravel to yes white skirt tetras and all of it and we're specialized now so our numbers are of course less than they were you know we're only 2400 square feet instead of 4400 so at half the size um going with a percentage of traffic or percentage of amount of people it's it's hard to quantify that well Um, i think the way to quantify it is you just stated it there you were double the amount of square feet. You had more stock options. And now yeah. you have a quarantine department that you can afford. Uh, clearly, yeah. even with the less selection, which automatically equals less traffic in most people's minds, your people walking in and consumption rate of your product is clearly up, or at least the overall buy rate is higher. That's fair to say enough, right? Go. Yes. And customer loyalty is, is huge. Our watercolors customers just they keep coming back. They don't want to buy their stuff somewhere else. As soon as you get that, well, if you ever have had ick in a tank, which who hasn't, um, and you can go somewhere and buy stuff and know you're not going to have to worry about that, it makes you pretty loyal. It's hard for people to convince themselves to go other places if they haven't gotten it here. Right. And I also think that the model that we're trying to project is one that's for long-term hobbyists. So the how many people are really going to have a red gravel, clown puke, pirate ship tank in their house long-term? But if you've got this beautiful planted aquarium and the plants are growing, that's dynamic. And the fish are doing well. That keeps you interested. That keeps you in the hobby a lot longer. Keeps you going to the fish store a lot more. Yeah, success. Yeah, we're not looking for one-time purchases here. We want people to be here their entire lives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You give people a little success, and they they continue to keep coming back. And I just want to talk about you know we we're talking about percentage. You like like you're saying you keep ninety percent of your fish alive. That is absolutely huge. And, I haven't heard of that before, honestly. And, and I, I, I how it should be, right? Yeah, I, I've been in the business for a long time, and. You know, people always talk about, you know, I marked this up 30%. I, I marked this up 40%. But, you know, 30% of, of, of 50 cents versus 30% of $12 is a huge difference. And we call it a penny profit. And you can't take percent to the bank and make that deposit. But you can take your penny profit to the bank, make that deposit. And if you're making uh, good money on a fish that you didn't lose, then uh, all of a sudden your success ratio just goes way to the ceiling. Is your middle name Skromensky? I'm just kind of Skromensky. Yeah. <laughs> I am Scrooge McDuck. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's but all- you know, it seems like the math doesn't add up because our, I mean, our markup isn't significantly higher than standard industry markup. Um, 
we run the same amount of staff as I'd say most stores do, although they're more dedicated. Yeah. If you don't kill 40% of your inventory, you have 40% more fish to sell. And one of the things I always have to be conscious of is that like, since I'm spending weeks with a fish in quarantine, I more or less am thinking ahead of what I'm selling upstairs. Like in my head upstairs, like in effect, fish may be there longer or shorter, but I'm, I only have quote unquote a week's worth of fish upstairs at a given time. Whereas I have four weeks of fish downstairs. Yeah. Is it, is yeah. it hard to stay ahead of the eight ball when you don't let Christmas comes? Yeah, I mean, you, you've got all of a sudden you have a run on a particular fish because aquarium fish hobbyists or Amazonists run a run an article on it, and all of a sudden that demand goes way up. Does that just frustrate you guys at night when you're laying in bed thinking all of a sudden we're gonna have such a run on these fish, and I've only got a week supply? It's that golden frustration, though. You know, it means you mean I'm gonna sell a whole bunch more of something. Yeah, keeping up with that can be a little frustrating, but the fact that people are gonna come in and buy more. There was a the couple of months this year where. Chili Rasboras had a three-week lead time, but hey, yeah. we're the only store in town that can keep them successfully, and sorry, you're going to have to wait three weeks, and plenty of people did. Yeah. Now, do <laughs> a you, lot of people did. Do you keep waiting lists, or do you just, uh, you yeah, know? Yes, like, we do. Yep. So, you know, first um, come, first serve, take like your number in line. request list. Wonderful. So, so it's like, today I had a call for, I would like a blue spotted jawfish, and I said, sure, I'll put it on the list, and when I can get it in, I'll put it through quarantine, and I'll call you when it's ready to go. Yeah, with the knowledge that people know that they're going to have to wait at least four to six weeks for that fish. And if it's not going to kill your entire reef tank, that's probably worth waiting for. And exactly. a lot of people look at it as that's and, and that's the thing that it's like when I first started working here, I was genuinely shocked that people accepted this mindset of that gives me time to get my tank ready for that individual. Right. And, and that like that openness to that idea was so reassuring. <laughs> you just expect people to give you a hard time, but like when you explain why we do what we do, I, there's not as much pushback as you'd think. There are definitely going to be those people who are like, well, fine, I'm going to go down the street to the grocery store. And you're like, great. Well, then my fish are safe. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spend a month getting that through quarantine just yeah. for it to die. You start to take it personally when you've kept those fish with you for a while. The idea that like you get attached to these fish and what's really nice to it is that well, people will ask, so what's the personality of this fish? And like every once in a while, I have multiple individuals of the yeah. same species. And depending on the person, because we do have that loyal customer base, I'll be able to be like, okay, this leopard wrasse is going to destroy your tank. <laughs> but this one will fit in just fine. Because <laughs> yeah. this one over here is a jerk. Yeah. But he, he will definitely not get along with your chorus wrasse or something like that. And like the ability to do that is just makes you fairly adaptable and to the individual that's trying to purchase a fish. So if you got a customer that you really don't like, do you sell that jerk fish to him then? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, because I, I have a soft spot for the jerk fish. Um, like I'm a, a maroon clownfish apologist. I, I love them so much. <laughs> There's just something about a fish that's willing to like look at something like 10,000 times its size and say, I can take you. I'm sorry, which which Dottie back was on your dream fish list? Oh, yeah. yeah. The, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't a Dottie back, was it? Oh, no, it was a Dottie back. Oh, okay. Like the vicious McCulloch Dottie back. Oh. That'll take chunks out of you. Yeah. Yes. No, you yeah, can... if your dream fish is something that will attack you, then maybe Charles isn't the best person. <laughs> 
Now, do you guys ever go down to the basement and just kind of look around and go on? I know Charles has got a tank down here for himself that he's not selling these particular fish. He's got it hidden in a corner. And you, you go over there and you find this, all these clownfish and you kind of go, ah, I wonder where they went. That's why we gave him the breeder lab. He's got his corner and he can stay over there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in our freshwater department, we have a little breeder lab. We have a killifish corner and um, every once in a while, something will come in and I say, you know what? I really want to hold on to that for a while. The most recent example was we got some orange laser Cory cats and I was just like, man, I just really want to work with those for a while. <laughs> or the licorice grammies, which are buried underneath everything else so that no one can find them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you got a problem, I think, here, Charles. <laughs> we have a number of problems. <laughs> so what I need to do is call you guys tomorrow when your hours are open, pretend to be a customer and ask, hey, can you get me a, uh, give me some anableps in? That would be super. <laughs> and we'd be like, oh, okay, sure. Tell us about your setup. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I have a wading pool, because- a six foot kiddie pool with brackish water <laughs> waiting for them <laughs> with some clone puke. All right. We'll get you some anableps. Um, she said it. You heard it here first, ladies and help. gentlemen. I would definitely get you some. But you can't really phase us with questions like that because I, I got what I think was a prank call the other week, which was somebody called me and told me their fish was drowning. And like, I didn't even react as if that was something unusual. I just like started troubleshooting it. Like, okay, so what's it doing? What does it look like? What type of fish is it? Did you get it here? And the people just kept going, no, I don't think you understand. My fish is drowning. I'm like, it might look like that, but that's probably not. <laughs> I didn't realize until I hung up that these people were screwing with me. Like, it's just, you just take it seriously. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I just, I you just love the whole, lot of weird stuff. I just love the whole grabbing the troubleshooter method. It's like Amy at Apple Tech Support. Hello, welcome to Watercolors Tech Support. <laughs> is your fish drowning? <laughs> hey, Amy, is your refrigerator running? Oh, you better go catch it. <laughs> Listen, is it a Kenmore? In all honesty, tell me that they thought they ate their fish while sleepwalking one night. So I do not take anything <laughs> as a joke anymore. Are you serious? You're, you're going to have to listen to I our have... story time episode. There was definitely some fish eating happening. Yeah, she was 100% serious. She said she dreamt that she ate something disgusting, and the next day her angel fish was gone. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you ask her if she had bones in her mouth? <laughs> I didn't know what to say, honestly. I'm like, okay. And she left, and I turned to the coworker that was next to me, and I'm like, but wait, did she really just say that she ate her fish? <laughs> yeah, a lot of crazy cat people out there. So quick repeat story from one of our prior story time episodes. Uh, which one is this now? I think it was story time one or two. I can't Don't offend which. anybody. Don't, no offending anybody. Uh, I got a customer, because, again, you guys do service calls. You know how it goes. Uh, they they call for every little thing, and they're calling, oh, half of my fish are gone. Like, half? There's no way it's going to be half. I mean, you guys, you have a, a pretty large tank. I can't remember what it was, like 75 uh, gallons, something like that. You have a pretty large tank, and it's a bunch of small fish. I mean, if a couple fish die here and there, you're probably not going to find the carcass. It's going to be eaten by another fish. They're going to decay, or you're just not going to see it as they decay. Oh, no, no, you understand. Half of my fish are gone. What? Go over there, not a scrap, nothing in the filter, nothing anywhere. So check to see if she had cats. She had no cats. All she had was like a toy dog in a bag, you know, one of those ladies. And uh-huh. uh, put up a camera and caught her kids partying and scooping fish out and uh, swall- oh. kicking them back. 
Like literally <laughs> swallowing them back, and they they did go through half of her tank in a night. Little goldfish swallowing. <laughs> yeah, they were. I'm just lucky they didn't get the Sedantis. <laughs> that used to be really popular back in the fifties. I mean, they would have goldfish swallowing uh, contest. Where you, you know, <laughs> we're seeing some like hand to face there, Jimmy. You got to be yeah. nice to our guests. No, it, have you not heard of that? Back in the fifties, that was no. very popular. Um, I'm just thinking it's like, it's better than a lime as a chaser. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Good one. No, in, in Minnesota, we have uh, some bait better places. Better than keeping them in a 10-gallon tank, so I don't even know what to say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do some bait places up here, and they do uh, minnow shots. Yep. That's well, a pretty be- yeah. pretty common tradition. Out of they- bait? Thanks. Like, okay, fine, eat the minnows, but out of those nasty systems, hundred percent, hundred percent. They do that Does at the high school. fish lice. That's why they lot to do when they're ice fishing. That's why they do it in uh, in Yeg and other things like that. <laughs> <Yeager> <laughs> but these are your Minnesota stories, guys. I don't know if I want to hear these. Hey. Oh no, I, I've gotten into some shenanigans while ice fishing. This is not the time and place, but <laughs> let's just say things happen. Even Mike Rowe was on. Uh, was Gosh, it? a bunch of hicks. <laughs> Dirty jobs frying up leeches. And that was over in Detroit Ooh. Lakes, 20 miles from us. Ooh. Yeah. Mike Rowe has done three or four shows in our area in the last few years and stuff. But, you know, as long as we're talking about eating something. No, disgusting, no. Let's talk about Rocky Mountain oysters. <laughs> no. Oysters? Rocky no, no, Mountain no. oysters. Rocky Mountain oysters. Mountain they call it the oh. testicle <laughs> festival. And... You can go to the local pubs out here, and uh, they'll have castrated testicles from either cows or pigs, and uh, they'll deep fry them for you and then give you beer. And then usually about six or seven beers in, somebody will say, oh, I'll give you 100 bucks to eat one of those raw. And you're looking at the guy who made $300 one night. I, uh, I think now the Minnesota Board of Vacation and Tourism is going to come and beat you with a stick. I don't care. I made 300 bucks. <laughs> About what I expected out of Minnesota. Is there anything else to do there? Oh, no, no. We no. have a lot to do. Well, there is. You have to find your own entertainment. Okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, we could take all our free time and then have our football team practice, but what for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there is other things to do, but this is a family podcast. That's right. <laughs> <All> right. So. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I think you're talking about the most wholesome things you could do. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna go make a snowman. So in uh, in a gallery setting like that you guys have, uh, how do you address children's tanks? Because again, you're making all these beautiful, breathtaking scapes with you know natural elements, uh, you know corals. How do you deal with kids that come in and cater to some of that audience? Bright green plants and platies are great for kids. So we try to cater to every level of the hobby, and children are some of the for me, anyways, some of the most fun customers to work with because it's amazing how enthusiastic they can get. And I'll have these moments where I was like, wow, I haven't been excited about this particular thing in like 15 years. And like, it's that great reminder of, oh, this is something to be excited about. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> like, Yeah, I found the only people who are upset about not having treasure chests are the parents. Yeah. <laughs> like kids want to learn and they want to see the things and they do want like brightly colored fish that are really active, but Hey, if you can give them something that's going to make babies, then like a a guppy tank, you can't get much better than that for kids. And they always recognize that that's really cool. I've had eight-year-olds come back and be like, so I was reading this article and and those are like, those are some of the best days. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I had it, like you just always people always assume that kids are so impatient and so unwilling to listen. Like I had a 10 year old and a 12 year old come and look at our African cichlid section and be like, you know what? I've got one of these. I really don't want them to fight. I'm going to come back another day. And I'm like, like they can make those sorts of decisions. You just got to give them the platform to like have all the information and they usually make the right choices. Sometimes, I mean, if they want to get a princess castle, whatever, go to a chain store, but we'll tell you why what we do is better. And they understand that. So you said bright green plants, platies, fun uh, wag style fish. Uh, what other things do you do? Because I see people that try to get more natural escapes. I see people having fun with the coconut shells. Is there anything that you do that's like creative where you're trying to like raise the bar f- as far as accessories? Because I- I'm trying to like put myself in some of my local stores, right? You go in and some of them have expanded the plastics just for kids. Like they purposely have the puke neons. They have these glow- glowing accessories. Uh, every th- every type of uh, accessory you can imagine, and it's like you're going down a toy aisle. You're seeing all of these SpongeBob SquarePants uh, huts, and literally all the way down to they're trying to make like aquarium safe Lego accessories. This just so they're recreating play spaces for their fish, which is not necessarily what's intended. So, is there anything special that you guys try to like go above and beyond on a natural scape that's just intended for the more fun details, or is it just centric around making a beautiful scape that is more kid centric such as platies. I think that Amy pegged it that the those pink castles and things like that that it's the parents that want that stuff. When the when a kid walks in and he sees a beautiful tank, he sees that or she sees that just the same way that we would. Put a couple of brightly colored fish in there and that that gets their attention or Show them that there's a baby fish in a tank, and that gets their attention in a in a much better long term way than a a a Lego or um you know SpongeBob thing will. Yeah, I've never felt like we needed to reinvent the wheel there. An aquarium is cool just by being an aquarium, and the people who are here understand that too. I think one of our more recent quote unquote crusades has <laughs> been that um, we've been trying to build killifish as an alternative to bettas in a small aquarium there are dozens of killifish that you could keep a pair of in and work with and it's it, i'm still shocked at how open people are to that idea that like there's this alternative to this like industry staple that is like it's so i don't know how to describe it because like it, i'm always shocked when we try a new idea and everyone is like yeah okay like how does that work <laughs> That's fantastic. We just had a a gentleman uh, talking about killifish in the podcast, and it just hurts my brain. You're seeing, I'm going to call it out, the most beautiful colorations in the freshwater kingdom in killifish species, without bar none. And most of them are unheard of. You don't see them in the trade. Some of them you can only get in auctions. It's not because of necessarily uh, quantity. It's because it's just intimidating for, for pet stores for some reason to give them a try. It's like they have a bad, like be wrong. right? They have like a bad PR agent. Like, I don't understand yeah. why people aren't getting into it more. And you guys are doing the Lord's work there for sure. The Lord's work. <laughs> you hear a lot about the, like, they only live a year. Like if yeah. people know about them, that's what they think. If they don't know about them, they think they look difficult and neither of those things are true. 
Yeah, I'm sitting on a was it uh, garden gardener eye uh, species, and they said, you know, four months. That's all we've had them in uh, captivity uh, uh, here before. I'm sitting on what year and a half, Jimmy? Easy so far, and that I got them as an adult. So who knows how long they've been sitting out there? They should make it five years easy. That's that's what I'm saying. (laughs) One more time. You got any fry out of them yet? Oh, I just got males. That's all I got. Uh, okay. Still fun. Sorry, so, I'll have to call you guys. Display, a ship. I get it. You guys can hook me up with some females. Yep, <laughs> yeah. you got for sure. I can hook y'all up with some females. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> what I want to do is uh, I want to be an old man curmudgeon, right? Just I'm gonna I'm gonna play a role here because I've heard a lot of stuff from a lot of uh, mom and pop pet store owners, and um, number one. I'm just going to go down the list. Stocking, right? Yeah. Stocking, they, they feel like they should have only bread and butter stock. That's what they believe that people will sell. It's proven to be the easiest, and they don't want to go out of their comfort zone because the comfort zone can lead to uh, a lot of confusion. They don't want to have to educate the customer. And again, it's another thing that they have to specialize food and care with, and they feel like their overall margins will decrease because of it. So immediately blown out of proportion. Yes, you guys have less stock than you did before, but you guys, again, do what you believe in um, because you know that that person on the sales floor is going to do a home run with it. You, you know that if they understand it, you have success with it, that that's going to be contagious and move on to the customer. So if you're excited, they're excited, you know, myth blown out of the water. Fair enough to say? Yeah, and Definitely. And, 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 you know, white skirt tetras weren't bread and butter fish 50, 60 years ago, right? So there's lots of fish that should be bread and butter fish that should be super common in the hobby that are amazing and easy, just as easy as white skirt tetras, but nobody tries them. So try them and make them, make them bread and butter. Or like, um, we may not have as large, as many fish as many stores, but we do offer maybe more choices when it comes to specializing in certain things. Like at any given time, we have like a dozen killifish in the store. We have six species of quarry cats right now. We have several species of wild betta, et cetera, et cetera. Six species of epistogramma. It goes on and on. So it's more about keeping fewer, like a lower quantity of more species. And I've sold epistogramma to newcomers to the hobby. Just because they don't know what they are doesn't mean they don't want them if you explain it to them. Somebody comes in looking for, hey, you do have those ram fish? Well, we do have rams, but to fit the same spot in your fish tank, we have a pistos. And it's, I think a lot of mom and pop stores would be surprised how many people make the pisto option. Right. Yeah. And if you can be like, I mean, anybody who's a hobbyist has had that experience where you go in, and this happens all the time here. Like you go into a store and you're just like, like, uh, well, I figure I better ask, do you have Betahendra? And you're so expecting that, oh, no, sorry, you can't get those. But if you do have them, that, <laughs> that reaction is, my favorite. is so extreme because nobody's expecting to be able to keep the fish that they want or the fish that they saw on Seriously Fish. They just, that's not the way that the hobby usually operates. So, I mean, that itself just puts, like, our own stamp on things. Like, yeah, we'll get it. We we want it, and we can take care of it, and we can tell you how to. And people want that reassurance. Yeah, the Betahendra story is actually. I want to harp on that. Yeah, one that's a little one bit. of your stories. Because uh, <laughs> what happened was this guy came in and he asked if we had Betahendra because it's a like a dream pipe dream fish to him. 
And I sighed because I had a pair that I was working with. And I said, yes, you can have them. Because it's that moment of like, for me, it was just another wild beta. But for him, it was the dream. And it's like, that's an easy decision to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah, you're preaching to the choir was, here. Yeah. The but, fish that I was researching when I was first starting to get into things are fish that are commonly set, like known to be unavailable. So I would have been pretty discouraged if I wouldn't have been able to find them at that time. And if all I, if I really wanted a microtenopoma fasciolatum and all I could find is a three-spot garami, I would probably have been pretty disappointed. So it's nice to be able to provide that for people. For sure. So, so the answer to your question, though, is the whole idea of bread and butter is unnecessary to think that way boring it's boring yeah it, frankly it is uh yeah, let, like, let bread and butter be done where, where where bread and butter needs you guys are making a feast yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so back to the we love every fish <laughs> back to old man curmudgeon robs here uh okay. going going down there again uh Stocking is really uh, where it starts off. Bread and butter, then they keep low quantities, and they believe that empty holes, and when people come in and ask for things, uh, set the expectation, especially when they're the only store or only handful of stores in the area that carry certain things, and they know it. They keep uh, prices high and mar- <laughs> margin-free, uh, margin because, again, they're still working around that 40% stock rate. You guys have uh, not only blown that apart, but you guys stated in your stocking that when you have an Episto... You're not afraid to get six different apistos. It's not just getting the type of fish. It's getting selection of that same variety of fish. You're, you're carrying six different quarries. And again, that's blown out of the water. Then we go on to uh, the business model. Being a destination store, I hear people argue with all the time. I don't want, I've literally heard this, and this, this hurts my brain. I don't want the traffic. It's just, it's too much. People just want to come here. They don't want to buy anything. They're in my way, and they leave. Um, don't, I don't get that. Yeah. That, just, one that of the, just doesn't make any sense. One of me. the most memorable days I've ever had here was we had far too many groups in the store. <laughs> this was pre-COVID, mind you. And I was balancing four groups of people in addition to the multiple groups everyone else in the store had on their hands. And it was, it was genuinely fun because everyone was joking. Everyone was like, people, that type of energy is contagious. And it's like that positive feedback loop where if you're having fun, they're having fun. And then because they're having fun, you're having fun. And it just keeps feeding into itself. Yeah, our regulars might not buy something every time they're in the store. They might come by every week and they might stay for an hour, like a long time, just looking at whatever's new. Or, And if we're busy, they will be selling fish to our other customers yeah. because of how much they love them. So yeah. it, it's hard to want to squash people's excitement. It's a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. Have you ever considered putting it's... in a snack bar? <laughs> I have, actually. <laughs> or maybe a real bar. Yeah, there you go. Do, have a couple do, of beers. Before COVID, we did have a sitting area. Yeah. But... Actually, yeah. in some of these destination stores, to go even further than that, I see a lot of them having, you know, koi ponds and other things. And just because they get so much traffic, they decided to put up a uh, bubblegum dispenser with uh, koi food. So <laughs> um, <laughs> if people are in your store, I will always argue that that curmudgeon is wrong. And that that's always opportunities to build a relationship and 
you know, there's times where I've gone gone to Forest Lake Pets and I've haven't bought a thing. I don't need it. There's nothing there that I needed. But I anytime I go to the cities, I will go there and if there's something I have to have, it just disappears out of my wallet. It's it's like it's it's compulsionary. Like I have some sort of disease and it just makes it disappear. Like they have a magic spell over my wallet. And that's what it does to all of your customers. If they're in there, they spent an hour, they went home. Uh, they're going to tell their friends. It's, they're going to show their pictures on Facebook. It's going to better you somehow, if not the dollar dropped on that occasion. So old man curmudgeon out on that one as well. Yeah, we were just having a conversation about how how many people feel guilty for asking us questions or like for buying stuff. Like, right. <laughs> like where are you it. going where people don't want to take your money? Like, give me your money. Let me talk to you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy that rung out three times today because like twice on his way out he realized there was something else he wanted <laughs> yeah and he was like i'm sorry to interrupt again and i'm like please interrupt keep, <laughs> keep spending money yep what else does old man curmudgeon have to say uh old man curmudgeon <laughs> all right old man robs right uh definitely sees that your quarantine process is crazy um is. he <laughs> believes firmly that uh it's it's an, it's nonsense and he, why make people wait when they could spend money now on something. And if it dies, so be it. I'm going to have that customer back buying it again. Uh, clearly, that's been blown out of uh, the water and should have been from the get-go. Any, anybody that's th- thinking about that process, you, you respect the return customer. You're doing the best for the customer. And above all else, you're doing the best for the fish. You guys shattering the word shrink and calling it what it is, uh, there's no acceptable loss of life, and you did the best for every fish that you can. Honestly, you know, I'm, I'm beside myself in a chair. Uh, that is the way you're supposed to think about it. Uh, I've just been in this, uh, you know, weird corner for way too long, apparently. They're, they, they're living beings. They have their own equivalent of hopes and dreams, and I think we all need to respect that. You make me cry on that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so old man it's curmudgeon the, Rob's out on that yeah. one as well. So Beta goes off to Kali. But, like, what comes when, like, everyone who works here is a hobbyist, and or has the potential to be one. Like, there's a certain type of person who, like, will really ra- latch onto this as almost a way of life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, like, caring about it and, like, advocating for better use of our wild ecosystems. And, like, all of that stuff works together so that we can build a better hobby. Like, one that's sustainable. One that doesn't just, like, bleed dead fish everywhere. One that doesn't just leave, like, I think the average lifespan of an aquarium hobbyist is, like, six months? What is that? Something ridiculous Yeah, it's like something that. ridiculously yeah. low where, like, an established tank should be set up for years. But so many people just fail and give up. And how can aquari- an aquarium store survive if all of its customers fail and give up? It's not infinite. We get into this hobby because we want to keep fish alive. And I think a lot of stores set up their customers for failure by not giving them the resources they need to do that because you're not going to have a return customer if they cannot keep that organism alive you get into fish because you like them you don't enjoy killing them you never like that's something that you should never get over yeah well put I've, I've never gotten over it <laughs> so back to old man curmudgeon right he also okay. mm-hmm. uh, has a firm belief on the design of your store specifically not just that it's a destination store because clearly if i have a lot of different selection and they're all healthy 
That's a destination store of and of itself. But you guys decide to take it the extra mile and decide to escape all of these as though I was trying to make a masterpiece in my own home. Number one, uh, having escapes make it hard in their mind to sell individual plants, individual accessories, and of course, trying to scoop fish out of escape. It's going to take <laughs> me time. I'm going to have to fight around plants. I'm just having bare bottoms and screw you. All right. That's, that's a I huge spend- fundamental. And at most, yeah. what they'll have in these stores is one tank. And you'll see it almost in every one of these um, long-term stores, not just the fly-by-night stores. They'll have one tank where they'll show this big, beautiful community tank, and there's a sticker on it. And it says, not for sale. And it just (laughs) blows your mind because that's the one fish I wanted. What could have been. I think old man curmudgeon needs more practice catching fish. You can definitely tell the newbies from the people who've been here for a while. (laughs) And speed of catching fish. You so you're not, you're not throwing cyanide in the It is possible to catch 10 neon tetras out of, a, out of a heavily planted aquarium. It's even possible without uprooting any plants, but that's like pro level. That's right. the true skill there. So, so who's the best catcher there? Catcher in the rye. Uh, you might, know, we might have to have a competition there. Amy does might. have some mad skills, but... <laughs> Does she? I have, I have like decades of experience. I, I can't do... I have nothing, like no ability to do the two-hand method. So I might be the best single net catcher here. Man. Hold on, yeah, hold on. The two-hand two method? The yeah. two-net system? Two yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Two-net system. Yes, like we're barehanding okay. these things because I'm not good. <laughs> <laughs> She's like Some Shrek fish. where she just puts her face in the water and comes up with a trout. <laughs> I have... hey, there are plenty of fish I do have to catch by hand. Um, Hillstream loaches. Oh, yeah. You got to catch loaches. them by hand. Flecos a lot of the time, you got to catch them by hand. I still haven't gotten over the one time I had to manhandle a two-foot-long tiger shovel nose. Oh, yeah. Yep, there's not any other way to catch one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, I heard tiger shovel nose, and I got to like, chill up my back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in, in your experience... Did it come what, what, with a single tear? Because that's what it usually does. Nope, it came with a big ball of hatred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell, tell them the story, Rob. Tell them the story, Robs. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, had I love reliving this. Years back, <laughs> years back when black arowana from South America were uh, basically non-existent and you had to call in favors with your favorite wholesaler just to get a wild one, right? Uh, you had to pay four digits out the nose to get one of these things in, and you get it in just for someone to have you rescue their small, small tiger shovel nose that's half the size of the arowana just to watch the shovel nose eat it whole. Yeah. Oh. oh no! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had a guy do that with a a rainbow wrasse and uh, his shark tank, and he was convinced that the rainbow wrasse was way too big for his. It was a, just a, a um um. It was a banded bamboo shark, Ooh. and uh, it was an eighty dollar meal. It was a nine inch rainbow wrasse, and a, about a two and a half foot shark, so not a monster, and it was just. Sucked it down like spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, mine was a twelve hundred dollar meal. Oh. I'm finally getting oh. to the point where I can talk right, about numbers. Chills. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Wait, was that was that your twelve hundred or his twelve hundred? It was my twelve hundred. Oh, oh yeah. No. Yeah, at least this was the customer, and I even warned him that you know there's a risk that your sharks will eat it. Nah, they'll be fine. So they'll he brought fine. it home and watched it. Yeah. Happen. Well, for the record, for anyone listening at home, the question is not can it eat it. The question is. Will it try? Right. If it tries, still got a dead fish. Doesn't matter. Yep. The question is, when will it eat it? It might not be yeah. now, but it'd be yeah. six weeks when it gets bigger. 
I feel like we interrupted what you're about yeah. to say though when you first mentioned the, the shovel nose. Oh no, that was the story. <laughs> we were just talking about manhandling fish. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yep. Well, that back to it. sometimes nets aren't viable. Back to old man curmudgeon Rob. So in doing this design, <laughs> yeah. right, we're gonna pick through every one of like the stereotypical. Oh, I don't want to do it your way. So we we went over that catching fish get better. Right, stop sucking. Number one. Uh, yeah, yep. pretty much. Also, that escaping a tank makes it impossible to sell plants. When you're doing an array, how do you know it's by a bundle, by a pot? Generally, they put them in bags, they put them in plastic pots, and they put little tags on them to make sure they're nice and clumped out of each other. How do you, in an escaped environment, sell plants where they're already planted and escaped? So the escapes are definitely simple. You know, we're not talking, you know, something you'd enter in an AGA contest. Um, I don't know. I've seen but, your pictures on your website, man. They're pretty nice. <laughs> um, I think that that sells plants like better. Um, we have a label on the on the tank that says what the plant is. We keep them in their clumps. Um, we don't really sell. Well, we sell some potted plants, but not much. But even you know, so, if it's a potted plant, you just put it behind a rock so you can't see the pot. Um, so keep the, the lead on the clump and plant the clump. The argument the is trick here is a lot of our new people that like breaking period with aquascaping is figuring out how to hide seams like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if the plants already look good in our tanks, they're going to look better in theirs. Yeah. I think part of the difference is too, that if somebody's in our store shopping, they'll, we're not going to put a staff member on top of people like hounding them the entire time, but there's always going to be someone around. And so if people don't know what things are or whatever, we say, Hey, these are the tanks. Everything in this tank is for sale. Ask me if you have any questions. And we ask every customer who's looking for plants. So what's your lighting setup like? So how are you running your tank? And so if they say, hey, what's this one in point? Then we can say, oh, yeah, this is that. And it, you probably can't grow that. Or this is that. And that would be a great fit for you. So it's more about, like, working with people on an individual basis to make sure they're getting what they're looking for versus, like, you can label something as well as you want and people are still going to have no idea if they can grow it. They just know that's pretty. I want it. Yeah. I think that's an interesting way looks, of doing it. Scape yeah. the tank around selling, but still make it look like escape. That way it can go in clumps. That, that really does answer the question. That's the idea of yeah. me going over curmudgeon Rob's is trying to get these questions answered. So when we get feedback, we can be like, Hey, this, this, is, this is what they're doing. This is why it succeeds. So the last part of, uh, of doing that is, of course, maintenance. Old Man Curmudgeon Robs believes that all he has to do is a water change. And, heck, he doesn't even have to do that as long as the filtration's working right. He can just drain it out the uh, the back of the, the filter, filtration system and not have to ever put his hand in the tank unless he's scooping out for money. So if you have a planted system, in his mind, uh, not planted system, escaped in any form, you're now making more work for Robs. I, you know, I, I would never be able to get around somebody who just drains the back of a system for their for their water changes that yes the way we do it is going to be more work but to to vacuum a little bit while you're doing a water change vacuum around escape you don't have to vacuum around the plants the plants love the nutrients that the fish poop has so you vacuum a little bit and it's plenty yeah and i mean it's also the time of, here, functionally, it's the time of the people that are specialized in working in those things. And it, it's good because, like, I'm not the best planted aquarium person, uh, at least when it comes to biology and plants. But people like Ben and Sally and Amy, they're 
much more qualified to deal with that. So it allows your employees to specialize in the things that interest them the most. We have per- one person who are, her entire job is selling, making corals look pretty and taking care of them. And she likes corals. So she fits in just right there. And we have the same person for plants. And actually we have a person who is specialized and dedicated towards water changes and maintenance. That is her job is to do the water changes. It's not a 15 year old kid that's doing 10 hours on the weekend. It's, you know, somebody who is wait, wait. experienced with that specific. You have a maintenance department. We have a maintenance. Well, I guess we could say that. There you go. You have a maintenance department. Yeah. We have a yeah. maintenance Mara. Yes, we do. And she's <laughs> tremendous and we couldn't live without her. You have a quarantine department, <laughs> we, a maintenance department. You uh, also have a podcast we have department. A, we have a plant propagation department. We have a coral propagation department. And it's it's individuals who are passionate about those individual sections of the store. Wonderful. A a person who's passionate about making something work is invaluable to anything. (laughs) And then the tanks always look amazing, which nothing sells plants. We sell a ton of plants. Ridiculous how how many plants we sell. And nothing sells plants better than amazing looking plants. Nothing sells fish better than fish that look great in an aquarium. And they look best in an aqua-staped aquarium. Yeah, planted tanks make fish look better. Well, let's go to the last point that old man curmudgeon robs because he's frankly getting angry in the corner, wondering why in the world he hasn't <laughs> been doing this the entire time. So the only other thing to pick on that I see in this, this scenario is you guys are, are setting up full systems. They're, they're not necessarily Mars racks, recirculating systems, uh, although it could be you have the option. But the point is in your store to make custom stands, full-on scapes, so the entire gallery shows the tank displayed as though it would be in their own home. So old man Robs sits there and looks at that and going, ah, I didn't go to art gallery school. I went to retail business school and retail business school taught me that my square foot should make me money per square foot. And I need to cram as much shit into those spaces as possible to make my money. So if I'm wasting all this space by putting spacing single uh, stands with displays that I am not getting my biggest bang for my buck and it's a waste of space and I should be making more besides the point that me doing these displays, I don't make money off of selling them. There's no way that someone's going to come in, pay me for the entire setup and I'm going to make money and have people haul that out, escape it when they get there correctly and put the fish in. And I just want to have my hands out of the business because again, it's just too much work. Then he should keep selling shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. there we go and we're we have reached yeah. the end oh, of curmudgeon robs yeah i it go sell go sell batteries or go sell car parts or go sell you know go run a grocery store if you're if you don't like what you're selling if you don't believe in in what you're doing this isn't this isn't this isn't a business i don't know any store owners that are wealthy i know some that do just fine not wealthy. If your goal is to go out there and, and, and have a business model that's going to make you darn rich, I don't think this is the way to do it. But if you're going to try and make something better and make a decent living at it, then find a way to do it right. Good advice. It took me, what was it, six elements of curmudgeon robs to uh, get that uh, line out of him. I'm proud of myself. Yeah, I wanted to reach over. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to reach over and strangle you. I'm, I'm, those are every point that I made tonight. 
every point that a real curmudgeon has talked to me about and try to preach to me and why these destination stores do it wrong. It's a waste of time. We get cynicism. Like it can be, I mean, right now we've got piranhas in the store. That can be discouraging because you it's 10 no's to one yes. Right. Right. And you, you get the thought that like, nobody's ever going to want to do this right. Or I cannot get through to people. And then I, I mean, I had a kid today who was saving up for a fluval Evo so he could figure out how to do salt water because he loves the tank he is now. And I'm like, Maybe the piranha guys don't get to me so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that hit my funny bone. <laughs> well, yeah. guys, I, I, I got to say thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for being a punching bag for curmudgeon robs. And <laughs> really enlightening. If, if someone's listening to this, they're opening a store, considering opening a store, or have had a store long term, you know, take this as the jolt in the pants. Do it right. Find new ways to make your place the destination store. Uh, again, people coming to your store is never bad, and money will come as long as you're doing it correctly. Take the extra mile. Don't treat fish like shrink. And above all else, have fun and be passionate while doing it like these fine gentlemen we're talking to. Um, any other notes that we uh, we have seemed to miss this evening? I think you guys nailed it. Well, one other point. I, I can't not talk about the people that work here. Um, when you when your philosophy is to do it right, you attract people that also have that same philosophy. And when everybody does it right, it's better. When curmudgeon Rob is going to have a curmudgeon-like attitude, he's going to attract people that are curmudgeons. Yeah. So keep keep doing it right and, and surround yourself with people that do it right, that want to do it right. Staff members who keep us accountable by yeah. asking questions based on things that we taught them. Isn't it nice to be caught out on something that so you taught somebody? I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yep. For real. Yeah. We're not afraid of the curmudgeon or the call out. We, yep. we got to like, we got to have conversations like this. To keep doing it the way we're doing it. Wonderful. Well, guys, there we go. I can't thank you enough for coming on. If you guys want to keep following these guys, they have a fantastic podcast. I think you guys are in the, your 20 ish episodes on your watercolors. 25 coming up. 25 we coming up. Uh, for the Watercolors podcast. Again, go to watercoloursaquariumgallery.com. You'll find their podcast. Subscribe to that. It's a wonderful podcast. I've been listening and doing homework for this uh, this podcast for sure. And, you know, don't forget to give them the call. Order those anableps if you live in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. Uh, I feel like I'm missing something about anableps. What's wrong with anableps? Nothing. No one can find them. <laughs> They're like my favorite fish species that no one has never seen. And we All get right, we I get a lot of grief some, for you've it. You've got to come get them then. I, yeah, that might be worth a you know fifteen hour drive, honestly. <laughs> All right, we'll keep an eye open. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So again, watercoloursaquariumgallery.com. Subscribe to that. For, uh, keep up with Amy, Ben, and Charles. Thanks again, guys. And if you like what you heard in the podcast and you want to support us, go to our website, aquariumguyspodcast.com. At the bottom of the website. You'll find our information. Support our sponsors, bar none. Get some merch. Otherwise, you can throw us a couple bucks to keep the lights on. We appreciate that. But always share the information. That way, uh, Jimmy can finally be embarrassed of his jokes he makes on the podcast. My jokes are the best jokes. What's that, Adam? Hey, thanks a lot for having us on tonight, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun. Well, uh, again, we our pleasure. talking about ourselves. <laughs> we might have to do it again. I, I feel like we need to go more in depth and have a quarantine episode. We're going to like get beaten up about this now. I hope so. Yeah. I love that. I can always talk about quarantine. Yep. 
Yeah, like like people hadn't had enough of quarantining here in 2020. <laughs> yeah. In honor, I really think people want to listen want about quarantine. In honor of COVID, we're having a second episode of Watercolors. <laughs> <laughs> they've got, they've got <laughs> Charles locked up down in the damn basement. We were. <laughs> Let's talk about dead fish all day, guys. That sounds awesome. Yes. All right. Well, again, thanks so much, uh, Adam. You got any other points? No, I'm. <laughs> He's good. All right, Jimmy. Let's get one more McRib before they close it down, and we'll see you guys next week. Adios. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent He's so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go fuck yourself, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's my boy, don't you know? <laughs>